Dear listener, we hope that you've been enjoying the variety of podcasts that we have on our network. Now is your opportunity to help us by telling us a little more about you. Please visit jcastnetwork.org survey and complete our listener survey so that we can learn more about you and your listening habits. Again, please visit jcastnetwork.org survey. Thanks so much. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Two weeks ago, uh, I was in Poland with a group from our congregation, and at the least expected moment, something happened that transformed me, and that's kind of how it is in my life. These little things that you don't plan for occur, and they hit me like a, a ray of sunshine out of nowhere, and it just moves my rhythms of my heart, and I think about them and ponder them for months upon months. It was one of our last days of the trip, and we were in the town of Warsaw. And in Warsaw, there is only a small remnant of about 11 feet high, but maybe as wide as this podium, left of what was the Warsaw Ghetto Wall. And we went to go see that last standing remnant of what was the Warsaw Ghetto Wall. There are about 26 of us in our group, plus our tour guide, and we're making our way to that little section, which is literally lodged between two relatively modern buildings. And by relatively, I mean post-war. And it's in a little garden in between these buildings, and we're standing right in front of the wall. And our tour guide says, for those of you who are standing with, I'm making up names, Michelle and Todd and Scott, you, are standing in the Jewish section of the ghetto. But for those of you just a few feet away, standing with Robert and Fred and Michelle, you're in the Aryan section. This was the other side of the ghetto. There was a wall here that divided. The minute that the tour guide said those words, every single member who was on the other side, and to be fair, two-thirds were already just instinctively on the Jewish side, every single person who was on the Aryan side walked over to the Jewish side quickly, as if someone said to them, you're standing in contaminated grounds, as if someone said to them, where you are is a place that is dangerous or wrong, as if to say, where you're standing, the world can swallow you up. They literally jumped to the Jewish side, and they said, in their heart and in their action, These are my people. This is where I belong. There is no ambiguity. I am not here as a tourist. I am here as a Jewish rememberer. And in my remembrance, this is where I should be on this side. And the action that I caught out of the corner of my eye when this happened was nothing short of phenomenal. Phenomenal to see how we are wired and disposed, whether we are religious or secular, whether we are Israeli or diasporic Jews, we all gravitated to the Jewish side even 75 years after that wall was built and 70 years after it was destroyed. Sometimes I wish that the situations that faced us in life 
we're as clear cut unto which side we belong as that one moment was for all of us on that trip. Because what I'm finding right now, and right now I mean today, this moment, more than ever before, rising to a head, is this notion of not knowing which side we should be on. The side that sends us to where our faith and destiny and others are like, or the side that could be for our freedom when standing at that wall. Well, let's ask the question vis-a-vis -vis the Torah reading, which is the same exact Torah reading we read on Rosh Hashanah, so it should be familiar to all of you. The story of the binding of Isaac, where Abraham is called by God, Abraham says, here I am. He says, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and go up to the mountaintop and offer him as a sacrifice to me, to God. And Abraham does just that. The only difference is, is that right before he's about to actually go through with the slaughtering of his son, he sees a ram caught in the thicket, an angel calls down to him, he stops, and he switches out his son for the animal. Now there are those that ask the question, is Abraham a wonderful dad because he was such a passionate believer and representing to his son what it is to believe in God, to even be willing to sacrifice himself to God? Because I tell you there are people who you ask this story to today and they will tell you unequivocally that is the answer that Abraham had unbridled faith, that he knew unequivocally this is where he should be. And it showed him, his family, his readers, it showed Isaac. This is what passion and belief in God looks like. Or there's a whole nother camp, a whole nother side of the wall where people fall and say, no, Abraham indeed was a good believer, but he was a bad father because what father could demonstrate this to their child? Now the text seems to prove this afterwards because Abraham is estranged from Isaac after this Akedah incident, after this moment of binding, and they don't connect again. So the question in the text becomes, is Abraham the model of what we should follow and our zealotry of belief in God? Or is Abraham telling us one of his warts and reminding us that zealotry and belief in God doesn't include almost sacrificing our children. Which side of the divide should we fall on? Right now, at this very moment, there is a wall, a figurative wall, that is being built, and it's being built within the Jewish community. And there is a strange selection process that is putting people on one side of the wall or another side of the wall. And it is creating a chasm and a division, the likes of which I haven't seen in 43 years. There are Jewish organizations today that are claiming that what matters today and being a good Jew is that you are a good Zionist that you have unconditional support for the state of Israel, that we have to be exactly what our liturgy tells us. We were once slaves in Egypt, and we were victims of the Holocaust. So now we have a homeland, 68 years, and we have to do everything we can to ensure and protect that homeland. 
And we must always stand up for that state that couldn't stand up for us during our worst hours. And today, that is the epitome of what being a good Jew is about in the United States and other countries outside of Israel. That is their definition. Meanwhile, on the other side of the wall, there are Jewish organizations that say, what makes a good Jew in the diaspora today has nothing to do with Israel. Israel is an independent state. In fact, sometimes I'm a good Jew who believes in Israel but fiercely disagrees with Israel. But what matters to being a good Jew in the diaspora today is being an or lagoyim, a light unto other nations. That we have to clothe the naked. We have to feed the hungry. And we, the Jewish people, have to register as Muslims if they make a Muslim registry because we too were once slaves in Egypt. We too were victims of the Shoah and we were registered during the Holocaust. And to be a good Jew is to stand up for those that didn't stand up for us and to say we are different. And that's the other side of the wall. So ladies and gentlemen, I believe we have the ingredients in the pot. And if we have just the right temperature, a little bit of mixture, and all of the outside environments, the way that they're brewing up, we are on the precipice of a civil war. Not a civil war of the North versus the South. Not a civil war of blue states versus red states. That could be, that might be, but that's not my expertise and that's not what I'm here to share with you on the Shabbat. We are on the precipice of a Jewish civil war. A Jewish civil war that is dividing Jews amongst what it is to be part of our people and which side of the wall you belong on. Tomorrow night, the Zionist Organization of America, a well-known stalwart for the state of Israel, is having a dinner in New York City and its guest speaker is Steve Bannon, the advisor to President-elect Donald Trump and the former editor of Breitbart Magazine, the Zionist Organization of America. At the exact same time, the Anti-Defamation League, founded in the wake of a lynching of a Jewish man in the South for a crime in which he did not commit, Leo Frank, which has as its charter to stand up for Jewish people and all minorities everywhere so that they're not defamed and degraded, so that people are treated equally, has said publicly that the likes of Steve Bannon and Breitbart Magazine is divisive and at times anti-Semitic and bigoted. Meanwhile, one of the leading Jewish organizations out there is having them as their keynote speaker. Take it a step further. The RCA, the Orthodox Rabbinical Council of America, a large and strong group, took a full page ad out in the New York Times congratulating the choice in Donald Trump as President of the United States and the appointments in which he made. It was signed by hundreds upon hundreds of rabbis and their sole appreciation for the president-elect was his unbridled support for the homeland of the state of Israel. Not once did they mention that he hopes that we are a land for all people, equality, to stop hate talk, anything else. This was their approach only 
Support for Israel is what matters, and he, as our president, is the man, and we will celebrate that man. At the exact same time, the RAC, the Religious Action Committee, which has, for all intents and purposes, a lobbying agenda in Washington, D.C., and its former head, Davis Saperstein, who now works for the State Department. So representing the reform movement on the other side, declared that what Donald Trump and Steve Bannon are doing is dividing our country, and they must make a declaration against hatred and bigotry. Now, my job and my purpose in standing here today is not to take sides. You want to know my side? Talk to me at Kiddish. You want to know my side? Subscribe to my personal Facebook page. You want to know my side? Spend time with me. I'm not afraid to tell you my side. It's not my purpose standing here. It's not my goal to stand here and to tell you which one's right and which one's wrong. My purpose is to say I'm really, really scared. And I don't get scared often. And what I'm scared about is that we have built another wall, ironically, and we are putting Jews on one side of it or the other side of it. And the criteria that we're putting the Jews on, one side or the other, has to do solely with how we come down on particular issues. For some, if you're a supporter of Israel, nothing else matters. You belong inside, in the good camp. And for others, it's ancillary if you support Israel. You have to be a good human being. Because if you support Israel by putting other people down and ignoring their plights, you can't be a good Jew. So which camp do you belong on? Which camp do I belong on? I can say in the most immodest form, that I am very proud. I don't lose any sleep in my support for Israel and my advocacy for Israel, my outspokenness for Israel, my passion for bringing you to Israel and exploring all facets of Israel. I am proud to call myself a Zionist, and when any of you call me a Zionist or say I talk too much about Israel, I actually take it as a compliment. But I also believe in the idea of clothing the naked and feeding the poor and providing shelter to those who need, and giving everyone a chance. So which side do I belong on? Which side of the wall is the wall for me? Which side is the wall for you? In a fantastic irony in 1820, it was Heinrich Heine, who was a German poet who wrote the line that would become a foreshadowing for his homeland. He said, in a place where they burn books, people will soon burn too. In a place where you burn books, people will soon burn too. What Heine was saying is, in a place where you can't tolerate the written word of another's belief, Soon you won't tolerate the existence of the other. And the books today are more like our beliefs that might be on social media, that might be shared around the water cooler. And what he is saying to us is that if we can't find some form of tolerance, then I'm afraid what the end result will be. 
This idea of being separated by walls is nothing new for Jews, but it is new for the Jewish people as an entirety. And when I get scared or I get lost, as silly as it seems, as trite as it might sound, I always turn back to our tradition. And in this parasha, we begin the process of that wall building and differentiation. We have children who are born and we see a paradigm, a model that's gonna continue throughout the Bible of multiple children and fighting amongst the children. We see the case of Isaac and Ishmael. They are half-brothers, share the same father, different mothers. And they are estranged, they have no relationship. After Ishmael was banished, they don't come together at any point, except once. When their father Abraham dies, they come together and they bury him in unison. Or Jacob and Esau, who after the moment of the trickery of the birthright, separate and are sworn enemies until that most dramatic moment when Esau is about to clobber Jacob and kill him and take all of his wares. And they realize in that fantastic moment that blood is indeed thicker than water and they join together in an embrace. But that was a near-death experience, the extinction of one. And Joseph, who has all of his brothers turn against him, and sell him off for dead. Leave him, forget about him. And Joseph ransoms in all intents and purposes Benjamin and plays with the brother's psyche until he can't take it anymore and embraces again. So what unites all of these people? This notion of extinction. This notion of seeing their pain and death. That is the unifier. Now, if you think I'm a little alarmist or you think I'm a little crazy, join the club. But if you look back in history, which serves as our greatest bellwether to our future, you will see that sadly it is tragedy and pain and death and near death that's gonna bring us together. This chasm, this civil war, was a time that was felt by Jews before, in the modern era, but not by me. You see, I wasn't living in Israel in 1995, but if you were living in Israel in 1995, you know that there was a tremendous divide in the state between those that were seeking the efforts of the Oslo Peace Accords to see it through to fruition, led by Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, and those factions who believed that they were fruitless and would cause the loss of more innocent lives, led by ultranationalists in some cases, or by those who are trying to thwart the entire process of Oslo. And almost 21 years to the Hebrew date, and almost 21 years to the English date today, was November 4th, 1995. On a Saturday evening, in King's Square in Tel Aviv, a lone gunman who represented the views of hundreds of thousands, not individuals, hundreds of thousands, fired three shots into the back of Yitzhak Rabin as he came down a staircase after just having sung a song for peace. And in those bullets, not only took his life, but ripped apart the chasm that was the Jewish state at that time. 
Those bullets not only took the life out of Yitzhak Rabin, they knocked down the walls that existed in that country, but in the worst possible way. They knocked them down to the point where one would look at the other from two different sides or two different camps, and they would say to each other, Oilanu, what did we do? What did we do? What did we do with our rhetoric and our judgments and our castigations and aspersions? What did we do? And that moment was even more powerful than 2,000 defibrillators on any one heart that shocked the Jewish state into a normal rhythm of unity at the worst possible cost. So what do we do? You think this is the first time there's been a divide? You think there wasn't a divide in 1937 between German Jewish aristocracy and those that weren't? You think there haven't been divides at other times? You think there aren't divides now? Of course there are. And frankly, divides aren't so terrible. We come from a world in which we celebrate divides. I'm not opposed to divides. I actually love looking at someone else who has a different belief or a different faith or a different opinion or a different passion and being able to see them and say, I disagree, but I love you. But to be candid with all of you, that is not the level of divide in which I find myself. That to me is a level of divide like you find in a swimming pool where the grades get deeper and deeper and people who know who can't tolerate the shallow or the deep know not to go in those particular areas. But it's still safe to be in the pool in general. But the divide where we are either or and monochromatic has me so scared that what it's gonna take to unify us is either more bullets that rip apart lives or some kind of universal target on all of us, regardless of our affiliation, RAC or RCA, ADL or ZOA, where we are all corralled together and seen as enemy to unite us again. And can we afford that? Is that gonna have any value to our future? Is that gonna keep up the traction that we have made in this country for 360 years? So what do we do? Well, I'm embarrassed to tell you I don't have all the answers. I wish I did, but I think I have a few solutions. Not all of them, but a few to get us off in the right step. The first is much of the change is literally contingent upon us. Not on me as your rabbi and not only your elected officials, but you. You in the pews, you doctors and you attorneys and you CPAs and you people who run small businesses, you people are the ones that are gonna to have to evoke the change because it will take an army to make that difference and that matters. And how does that change happen? What does it look like? It happens in the following ways, one, we gotta stop dumbing things down. We should leave elevator speeches to weather 
and sports teams. But if someone asks us about the Jewish people, about the state of Israel, about challenges we face, about beliefs we have, about where we land vis-a-vis -vis appointments in the election, we can't dumb it down to an elevator sentence. It cannot be fit into 140 characters on Twitter that encompasses everything. And while we have become a society that loves these small digested pieces that can bring it all down to the simplest sentence to share with everyone, sometimes it just isn't that simple. And what it requires of us is a semicolon. But almost everyone in this room has gone to college and those who haven't, please God, will. So you know how to use a semicolon. And we can speak with semicolons. We can speak with layers. We can give extra sentences and details. We can sit with our neighbor over a cup of coffee or a scotch and we can talk about these things and understand these things and appreciate these things as opposed to putting it all into one side or the other. If we have learned anything in our 5,000-year history of humanity and our 2,500-year history of what it is to be a Jewish people, it's that we are always united when we are vilified. And we can't afford in those moments to be a united people just because of someone else's common hatred for us. That can't be the moment that unites us. What we have to be is a people that understands and celebrates difference and diversity, but shares common bonds. We have to be a people that says, to be a good Jew in America, you should have unquestionable support and love for Israel, but at times, a way that allows us to bring up issue. We should be able to say that at the same time, being a good Jew is not only dependent on our love for Israel, but also our love for humanity. Why does it have to be either or? Couldn't the ZOA or the RCA or the ADL or any of these other organizations like the RAC have said that what it is for us to be Jews in the diaspora is more than a love for Israel, it's additional to a love for Israel, it's a love for humanity. And it's not either or. It's not the chasm that will divide us. Because what has me up at night is the idea that those people on the two sides of the fence are gonna stand together with a shovel in their hand when they're bearing someone in common. They're gonna come together in the midst of bullets flying. And we as a people can't afford that. When we look back at the Parsha and we ask ourselves, was Abraham a good believer and a good dad or a good believer and a bad dad, we should be able to say yes. He was both. And there's room for both. Because we can't afford the divide. If a wall is built amongst the Jewish people, which side are you gonna to gravitate towards? Like the group in Poland, when visiting 50, 60 years later and talking about this figurative wall, are you gonna say you're on this side or on that side? 
You were here with this organization or that organization, with these people or those people. What we've learned in the past is usually the walls are made for all of us to be on one side or the other. Let's not be a people of walls. Let us make boundaries, let us make differences, but through boundaries that we could traverse and cross over and see the other side through. Because woe to us if we don't. And woe to all of you, and to myself too, to each and every one of us, if we only sit on the sidelines while this wall is being built. It's up to us to ensure that it's not down and there are no plans for it to ever rise from the surface again. We as a people can never, never afford it.